Welcome to Notes on Vulnerability, a podcast designed to put stories of resilience, courage and being human at the heart of the conversation. Vulnerability is something that many of us feel when it comes to our bodies. What they look like can be a source of pain and insecurity and it doesn't help that we have a culture that is really only beginning to celebrate size and difference. What we're physically capable of can be another great source of vulnerability. It's often in physical endeavours like running a race, climbing something, moving in water or even just doing a tough class that we can most frequently come up against the edge of our comfort zones. I feel like many of us, me included, have only really tested a tiny part of what we're really physically capable of. I'm not 100% sure why that is, but I do feel like my guest on this episode of Notes on Vulnerability might have some insight. Yuande Adeshida is a Londoner, a former competitive rower, now a national level track racer. She's taken on not one, but two of the most relentlessly competitive and brutal sports, rowing and cycling, and displayed a steely determination and inspirational commitment to both. She's also now a rowing coach for the Lee Rowing Club Juniors in East London. Although Yuande describes herself as an up and coming amateur cyclist, she's already competing at national level, winning medals, and in 2019, SRAM, which is one of the biggest and most well-known brands in cycling, decided to feature Yuande as the star of one of its global marketing campaigns. Her focus is on track racing and sprint disciplines. If you're not sure what that is, just know that it's fast. It's always easy to look at someone who is taking great strides in something tough and assume that it was easy for them, but that's not so. Rowing and cycling are two of the whitest sports around. For example, only 7% of London cyclists are from ethnic minority groups. As a black woman, Yuanda has spoken out about how not seeing anyone who looked like her made her feel perhaps the sport wasn't for her, and how difficult that made the simple things like asking questions about what kit to get. Her comment in British Cycling's recently published Diversity in Cycling report also explains how the lack of diversity can impact an entire experience. She wrote, knowing that my skin colour makes me stand out on pretty much every start line made me fearful of making mistakes. These are things I think about less, but those thoughts are still lingering nonetheless. Yuande's passion for sport has filtered through into her day job too. She's currently doing a PhD in wearable technology and sports biomechanics at Imperial College London. Her research looks at wearable technology and how it can be used to monitor athletes' movements in sports as both a performance indicator and an injury prevention tool. Wearable tech is a huge growth area in sport. In fact, it was recently used by the English Premier League to gather data on how often players were within two metres of each other to present a report to the government to restart the league post-COVID. And who is more qualified to do research into how wearable tech can advance athletes' progress than someone who's an athlete herself? All of this might seem like it leaves zero room for downtime, but you might also be surprised to learn that Yuande is something of a star baker and has also discovered the therapeutic joy of adult colouring books in lockdown. I feel like this is evidence that she has truly mastered a kind of zen-like work-life balance. Let's find out. So Yuande, welcome. Hi Alex, thanks for having me on the podcast. So um, let's talk about how you switched from rowing to cycling in 2016. How did it feel to go from being part of a team sport to being a single competitor? I think the change was kind of good um, because I wanted to do something different at the time Um, and being a single competitor meant that I had control over my training and the races that I got to do instead of having that um, being determined by 
a coach and other people in the squad but I did miss like the environment of everyone going through the same training process at the same time so that was a bit hard to adjust to. That must be quite valuable like if you're in an environment that's really tough and um, having other people there to cheer you on and to go through the, the hard times with that must be quite important. Yeah um, I think just knowing that someone else is going to be going through the same thing makes it easier to turn up to training and otherwise it can be quite isolating going through points of injury like I still made sure I turned up to training at the same time as other people just so I could be around other people instead of having to go through it by myself what made you change from one sport to the other I think there were a few factors that played into this so I've been rowing for six years at this point and was a bit fed up with it I hadn't really enjoyed my final season it also coincided with me graduating um, from university and I wasn't sure where I would row if I had carried on and then yes the last thing was that people had a few people had suggested that I might be better at other sports one of them being track cycling and so it just seems like a good time to give it a go have you ever regretted it no, I haven't. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Five years later and it's still been a good decision. So, How far out of your comfort zone was cycling at that time? Were you already sort of doing some cycling or was it a completely fresh start? Um, I'd already done a little bit uh, through like cross training when I was rowing, but with track cycling, you're riding a completely different style of bike. It's fixed gear. So and when you pedal faster the bike moves faster um and you don't have any brakes so you have to use your feet to slow down the bike so that was like a big adjustment for me also I didn't really have like I guess good bike handling skills and so it was something that I had to learn and going into cycling there wasn't really like a super clear pathway I guess one of the benefits of being in a squad and rowing was that you knew that these were the races that everyone targeted and you had coaches planning out your training. Um, but with cycling, I was kind of figuring it all out for myself. So yeah, I was quite out of my comfort zone and I didn't really know many people that were doing it at the time. So how did you cope with that feeling of being out of your comfort zone? Um, I think initially I just, kind of tried to like enjoy doing something new which is a feeling that I definitely lost <laughs> at some point but I think it's come back but yeah I think just trying to enjoy it and like reminding myself that it would get better and because I had my goal of racing it was like okay I like need to do these things to get to that goal and then reassess. How, how do you like um how did, if you didn't have like a coach and you weren't working as part of the team, how did you create the structure for your training and your sort of goals? I think to begin with, I kind of just did what I wanted when I felt like it. There was luckily someone else who was thinking about doing track cycling at the same time. So we went to our first session at the track together. Um, and then, yeah, I think I kind of just... <laughs> mucked around for a few months and then uh someone approached me about joining uh, a cycling club and so I did that and then had like the weekly routine of going to like one of their skills sessions and then 
kind of started building up things around that but yeah there wasn't too much structure at the beginning um which I think was nice it was just if I want to do this today I can do this <laughs> that seems like a good way to approach anything rather than like going straight in with like a really heavy sort of plan of action like to discover the joy of it maybe yeah I yeah I agree um I mean I am someone that likes structure but I think if you always have that then you sometimes if you don't experience the sport without that like you might not realize how much you enjoy it do you think the sort of enjoyment element is as key as ability yes um I mean like if I still enjoyed rowing then I probably would still be doing that now but I at the time I quit I didn't enjoy it and it's I think a lot harder to motivate yourself to do something when the enjoyment isn't there. So you've said that your your fantasy training partner would be Alison Felix and you said that's because she knows a great deal about resilience and mindset something that you said in an interview you need to train as much as the physical side so what does resilience mean to you? Um, so to me that means I'm like overcoming setbacks uh, so whether that's injury or a bad race result or something like that um but then also it's kind of like persisting with something even if other people have told you that like you should like I think in some cases some people are right but persisting with something when someone else doesn't have like the faith that you can accomplish that if that makes sense <laughs> it does so you've mentioned kind of faith there, which is like, um, you know, the element of trust, which I personally think is the hardest thing to bring to anything. Uh, how do you kind of cultivate that, that belief, I guess, that self-belief? It's a tough one. <laughs> um, and I think it's probably like something I've not always had. Um, but yeah, I've been doing lots of reading and uh, sports psychology stuff has helped as well but I guess kind of like if I say to myself like I can't do something then I'll add yet to the end of that so I can't do that yet and try and say like maybe this is something that I can do but I need to work towards it and like I don't feel like other people have the right to say no you're not capable of doing that because they don't know who I am as a person. So in my introduction, I mentioned that I feel like most people don't tap into all that we're capable of, like especially on a physical level. Why do you think that is? I guess there are probably like many, many reasons. Um, I think probably a big one is maybe just being scared to find what your limits are um, because you're worried about the consequences even though they might not like the consequences might actually not be that bad and maybe not having like the support around them that is like encouraging them to kind of push their physical capabilities. Is there anything about the way that we the lifestyles that we have today that are stopping us from pushing our like reaching our limits like you said like testing where those limits are? Yeah maybe I think that kind of there's this maybe like sense of being comfortable um or prioritizing like 
maybe work or other things as opposed to or let me put this this way there isn't that much of an emphasis on like um looking after your mental health and like one of the things that you can do to support that is being uh active and yeah so I think that's again probably another issue that stops people from that's probably something that's come up quite a lot in lockdown isn't it we think we've all begun to realize that isolation and sort of being stuck inside um it's just not very helpful did you how did you find your lockdown I know we spoke briefly about it um and you're doing lots of um the adult drawing have you managed to keep that up I so I guess during lockdown it was good because I settled into routine and then decided that I I took up cross stitching first um and then someone sent me like a adult coloring book um so I dipped in and out of that um as things opened up more I stopped making that time and then I realized that I did actually still need that and so I've been trying to reintroduce it again but yeah I think having like that activity that takes your mind off other things is really important and then you get you get something nice at the end (laughs) funny because I think like being a sporty person and being a creative person are two things that a lot of people don't see themselves as whereas we all need a bit of both of those things so I think it's quite interesting how do you feel about yourself as a creative person Uh, this is a good question actually so I did art like up until I was 16 at school and there were some elements that I really liked and some elements I didn't like at all (laughs) um and I did want to carry on but I also knew I kind of wanted to go down the engineering route and so I kind of dropped that and I think that was the point where I probably stopped thinking of myself as uh creative but then I started baking at university so it kind of came back a little bit um and then I think over the past couple of years I've been uh to a couple of talks where the idea of like creativity and sports or creativity and other elements have come up and I was like oh maybe I can find a way to reintroduce this and so I think I started off with cross-stitching because (laughs) like I said earlier I like structure (laughs) And cross-stitching was nice because it was just like following a pattern um, and I didn't have to think about like what to use but I knew I could still produce something nice at the end whereas the colouring was a bit harder for me because like even though it was my colouring book I was like I don't know what colours to start with I don't know how it's going to turn out and it was just kind of like trusting that whatever I like even if I produced something and it wasn't great, like I still made the effort to try something different. I think if you are sort of very successful and very sort of, I don't know if you'd say you're results driven, but kind of if you're used to achieving things, a process like creativity where the outcome isn't necessarily going to be like impressive and and you have to make all these decisions, like you say, um, it can be quite challenging, like in quite a good way. Um, When we spoke briefly before this, uh, you mentioned that you felt there were two key elements involved in succeeding in competitive sport. One was knowledge and the other was opportunity. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, so I think knowledge in the sense, well, in the sense that like knowing that this sport exists in the first place and knowing how to get into it. um, 
because I think for me with rowing like if my PE teacher had never introduced me into indoor rowing like I wouldn't have thought to like watch it at the Olympics and then want to do it as an actual sport and I guess the same with track cycling if someone hadn't said oh maybe you should do this like I probably wouldn't have considered that as a sport either and then knowledge again in the sense that knowing how to progress in a sport or like where to find skills sessions or find races opportunity again it can sport can get really expensive um so having like access to equipment um or just funding that helps you cover costs of like races or um club fees and I've been super lucky with the opportunity aspect uh when it came to cycling um because the club that I joined initially uh, lent me a track bike and without that I like would not be like here today so, are they that expensive I mean it depends what you go for but if it's if you're not sure about a sport and you have to if you're like I want to try track cycling but I don't know whether I'm going to like it and you have to fork out like hundreds of quid for a bike then you probably just won't try it at all but then I'd say it breaks <laughs> <laughs> um but then I'd say Hearn Hill is really good for providing that opportunity because I think I did my first race there on a higher bike so it kind of broke down that um barrier and that gives people the chance to decide whether they like it or not before spending lots of money yeah that seems really important actually because there aren't many sports where now I'm thinking about it where you don't need equipment to get started other than running I guess I guess rowing is quite good in the sense that like you pay your club fees or you pay for like a course and like all the equipment it is provided for you so like the barrier there is just the funding to pay for those courses but like the club where I work at um does bursaries I think to help people that struggle with that kind of thing and so yeah I guess I'd say that going from rowing to cycling that was a big shift like being in a sport where like I paid fees for the year and then everything was sorted out to go to another sport where suddenly I had to like think about how to pay everything mm. pay for everything myself so I was like super frugal to begin with but I saw on Instagram you've got some pretty fancy new outfits are they from the sponsor um so I have been super lucky to be um working working with some uh, global cycling brands so I'm an ambassador for SRAM and for Specialized uh, so they've kitted me out with some nice equipment and then with kit as well I've uh, worked with a couple of clothing brands and so I've been able to get some stuff that way as well. It almost made me want to try cycling <laughs> 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 my look as good in them as you do you should definitely give it a go and I think like yeah with cycling there's definitely like I need to have all this nice stuff to do this sport but it's definitely not the case and I definitely didn't have all that nice stuff when I started like for the first year and a half at least of racing I 
like when I was racing on the road I was on like a 500 pound aluminium bike that was not as nice as like people that I was racing against but I beat them so (laughs) 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 it's like goes to show that it's up to a certain point like the amount of hard work you've put in will pump over like the stuff that you have that must have been so satisfying (laughs) yeah well I think like I was thinking about that less and more just really like happy to have finally won a race um but then going back and thinking about it afterwards like I did this stuff on not great equipment like what can I do if I have something a bit nicer and um, you've talked in interviews about the lack of diversity in cycling um in one you said um the more I turned up to races the more aware I was that there were not many people that looked like me it made me feel uncomfortable and question my place in the sport I was too shy to speak up about it how did you process that kind of vulnerability probably not in the best way I think I kind of like internalize those thoughts quite a lot I think also you uh, mentioned in my intro about uh, me not wanting to make mistakes so I think I kind of channeled that into like making sure that I was improving my bike handling skills although I've had some races where that wasn't the case Um, and also just trying to like fit in so like I guess doing as much as possible to like make sure I didn't really stand out so yeah again like I say probably not the best ways to process that. That must have been quite hard to deal with on top of the fact that you're already trying to sort of focus on the sport element. Yeah I think um, it's a lot it's a lot to think about and thankfully it's better now like I feel more comfortable in the sport but yeah at the time it was kind of just like show up do my thing um try not to do anything weird leave (laughs) um but I think the people that I've met most of the people I've met in cycling and have raced against have been like super welcoming and supportive and so that's helped me feel more comfortable have you um ever encountered sort of ignorance or hostility um not directly but um see there are a few uh pieces that I've done so like articles speaking out about diversity in cycling and then also the SRAM campaign and one of the things I've learned from that is to not look at the comments because there are some super ignorant people there and it's just yeah um thankfully like none of it was directed at me um but still reading it you're kind of like is there a point in me like speaking out about this stuff in the first place and yeah I think from those I've kind of like learned to like protect uh my piece a little bit more because reading those comments can be super training and it's just not worth it at all what makes you want to continue speaking out knowing that people are listening and that it is having an impact um I think like with the SRAM campaign like I got a message on Instagram saying like this was amazing and you've kind of like inspired me to get back on my bike again and that was from another black woman um and just getting responses like that like 
people thinking that like me speaking out or like posting stuff and them finding that inspiring and kind of like then giving them I guess like the encouragement to do something different so yeah that's why I keep doing it that must be a good feeling yeah I think I would probably still do it anyway because it's important things need to change but yeah it's nice to know that it's kind of like impacting someone else even if it's just one person so what would you like to see change in cycling to make it more diverse I mean there are many things that can change (laughs) um but I would say we would talk about representation a lot but that needs to change on like so many levels and I'd say one of those is like having better representation like at a coaching level or like at a kind of event staffing level because it's all well and good bringing in like increasing representation like in terms of riders but if they're not seeing people that they can relate to like uh in different facets of the sport then it like that could be the difference between like whether they decide to stay in it or not and I think it's why like my job as a rowing coach because I am that different face like I've been in this sport as a rower but I'm now in it as a coach and like I really enjoy coaching uh people from like different backgrounds knowing that they can see someone that doesn't fit the stereotype of what a row it looks like so I think cycling needs more of that as well this is a big question but how would you achieve that you may obviously you can't do it on your own (laughs) (laughs) um no I think there are like some organizations that are trying to do stuff at the moment so um like the women of color cycling collective have been granted some funding and so they're funding uh coaches through the BC cycling course and so I think more initiatives like that but then also like supporting that development like once they've got their qualifications and like providing those opportunities for them to coach Mm. yeah it's a it's a big task but yeah there are some people taking it on which is really great to see When it comes to the pressure to perform, how do you deal with that? (laughs) Um, I'd say one of the biggest things that I've reframed about like pressure uh, that I've done through sports psychology is that like most of that pressure is coming from myself and not from other people. Uh, And in fact, like other people around me just are there to support me and want to see me do well and like I'm not really at the level where people around me are putting pressure on me to perform uh so I'd say that's been the biggest thing realizing that it's coming from me and not from other people and then I think that's probably helped me kind of relax a little bit more and just enjoy like training and racing and I mean I still worry or stress about like results and stuff but I don't think as much about how other people will interpret my performances 
So is it like removing the awareness of worrying what other people will think? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, like knowing that I can have a result that I may not be too happy with, but there aren't going to be people around me saying like that wasn't good enough. And I think once you stop thinking like that, it makes <laughs> things a lot easier to deal with. How do you deal with like your cycle with all the training stuff? Because I'm assuming you can't fit training and races around your monthly cycle. Um, I actually, I think um, doing exercise uh, helps me um, around like the start of my cycle. It, generally, if I've done some training beforehand, then I'll, I won't have as intense cramps and stuff um, but there are days where I've been like I need to get on the bike and I don't want to move but actually once I've got on the bike it's like like that motion actually helps me but yeah I can't pick when my races are in comparison to when my cycle is. I know some people uh, will kind of sync their training to um, maximize benefits at different points in their cycle but I don't want to do that if when it comes to racing I don't have that choice. How do you feel about vulnerability because obviously this is a podcast about vulnerability. I think it's I feel like it's something that's not really encouraged the act of being vulnerable um, but it is really important and like for me it's kind of opened me up to be more aware about how I'm feeling at certain points because uh, it's I think it's quite easy to just kind of like not shut down but like put on a brave face and just like carry on what do you think of the dangers of doing that I think you kind of I've definitely done it before where I've kind of like ignored things and then it's got to a point where it's been too much and then you have to deal with like lots of emotions and stuff in one go and it's super intense and yes yeah so that's the danger and it'd be better to kind of like try and process things as they come up or not necessarily process but like be aware that you are feeling a little bit different today and like acknowledge that before moving on do you have any like particular tools that you use to cope with vulnerable moments? I think I do a couple of things. So I'd say the main thing is probably focusing on like what's within my control at those points in time and then writing stuff down. So it's like not going around in my head. So I've like, so by writing stuff down, like I've, kind of like acknowledged uh that feeling and then like taken it out of my brain so that I can kind of move on from it but then I can also go back and reflect on it because it's there. What's been the most vulnerable moment in your life so far if you're willing to share it? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah when you sent this question I was like I found it really hard because like I've not yes always opened myself up to be vulnerable and so there are probably like quite a few moments in my past where I have been 
really vulnerable but not been aware that that's been the case but I in I guess the past couple of years like the past few years I'd say kind of that transition from when I was going from rowing to cycling and graduating like I'd finished my degree but had also just turned down like a two-year graduate job and so I finished my degree like not knowing like not having any idea like what I was going to do next also deciding to like quit a sport that I'd done for six years and not knowing how the next thing was going to turn out and so it was just like I guess probably in that moment I felt like I didn't have like any control over anything or like any clue about what I was doing but thankfully those decisions that I made at the time (laughs) turned out to be the right ones um yeah so what what kept you on track during that time I think just I'd I guess kind of like had stuff to keep me occupied over the summer and then from there it was just kind of like figuring out like one thing at a time um and I guess I had to like trust in myself that I had done the right thing and like I had the support of my family uh and being at home so that was really helpful. You're currently doing a PhD on wearable technology and how it can be used to monitor athletes movements in sport that's a different kind of pressure (laughs) I would imagine. I feel like some people would be really intimidated by the level of what you've taken on like everything together what was the thought process behind it all there wasn't really one uh but I guess this kind of leads on well from the previous question um so when I finished my undergraduate degree in 2016 and turned down that job I was then looking for other jobs I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do and I think by chance on Facebook I came across uh, this advertisement for this scholarship which was to coach rowing part-time and to uh, do a research master's part-time looking at um, injury prevention and high performance athletes in rowing and it seemed like it seemed really interesting to me I was like okay it's like a two-year commitment and after that I can kind of yeah like have another think about what I want to do so like applied and then when I went to go meet the supervisor um I already knew her before and then she suggested that I apply for a PhD to kind of keep my options open so that's how I ended up doing a PhD uh because when it got to like I guess the two years in and I had to make that point of decision about whether I wanted to carry on or not I was like well I've come this far now so I might as well so yeah that's I kind of like stumbled into that but it was quite nice that the research and the rowing coaching kind of came hand in hand and I really enjoyed doing both and I think it was just a nice way for me to stay connected to rowing because I still did want to be a part of the sport but just not as an athlete yeah coincided with cycling but I guess at the time it wasn't I wasn't taking it too seriously so it was just the thing on the side um and so yeah that's probably (laughs) how I ended up doing all these things at the same time 
But it wasn't a grand plan type thing. No, not at all. <laughs> but you're an instinct driven person. Uh, probably more than I think. I guess I've quite actually quite a few of like the big decisions that I've made since even like even decisions about where to go to uni for my undergrads weren't the decisions that I expected to make but an opportunity came up and I thought oh maybe that will be better for me and I just went with it <laughs> and, it like yeah that. it's worked out well <laughs> uh, what are you going to do with your PhD I don't know um <laughs> I'd like to stay work uh I'd like to stay working in sports in some sense but I don't know uh in what capacity yet but I think yeah I'm not gonna stay in academia yeah after my PhD I know that much do you ever hear yourself saying oh no I couldn't do that or is that just not your mindset yeah I've I think I kind of brought it up before like I do have those thoughts where it's like oh no I can't do that even like doing my PhD I've been like like I I can't do this but again just adding that word yet to the end like changes everything and then it makes you think about it in a different way and I think I'm learning that like you're like never really going to be good at something from day one and things take time and so I'm just like one of the yeah biggest things that I've changed that like accepting that things will take time and that I can maybe do this one day in the future but just not right now. Do you think you have to sort of get used to flexing a failure muscle for anyone in life like getting comfortable with failure and okay with failure not to aim for failure but for those early stages when you are just gonna probably get it all wrong? Yeah but I think maybe looking at something as a failure is probably the wrong way to go about it and like reframing that as a learning opportunity is better because you say I can do this thing and even if it doesn't go the way I wanted I can learn from it and not do that same thing again whereas if I guess if you think of something as a failure then you're kind of like oh that's it things went badly that's it and then you don't really think about how to change things and go forwards so the word failure is just a big big no yes <laughs> um what's been the biggest lesson of the past year for you making sure I rest and then also kind of like making sure I set boundaries as well so just yeah to look after like I have to look after myself first if I want to kind of help other people so that's probably the been the biggest thing um so in terms of like we've talked a bit about downtime and fun and switching off and um, but we haven't mentioned your baking are we talking like bake off the professionals level or bake off bake off well I mean some people have suggested like that I'm part of bake off but I just I guess it's one of those things where I was like I can't do that um yeah I'm <laughs> yeah so I can't do that yeah I've actually not been baking as much over the past year because for me baking was something that I did so that I could share it with other people mm. probably oh. primarily so that I didn't get fat <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah I the last so I generally like bake cakes for other people 
um, like friends or like if it was their birthday or type visit. I think my baking definitely falls into the, the like substance over style so tastes really good but I'm not the best at like decorating again something that's messy <laughs> um and I don't, I don't quite have the patience for that um but I think I would like to get back into it I guess now that things are opening up more again and I can feed people <laughs> Well, I will volunteer to taste any of the bakes when you get back into it. What's your signature bake then? I'd say probably banana bread. It's quite simple, but I think I do a good one. Um, and then I'm going to add in another one. Uh, peanut butter blondies. Oh, wow. Yeah. Banana bread. chunky peanut butter. Sorry? Yeah. As a bit chunky peanut butter, because then you get the texture. Yeah. So banana bread, nuts or no nuts? No nuts. Okay. Yeah, just a plain banana bread, no frills. So I know some people add like nuts or chocolate, but yeah, I prefer making mine without any of that. So the last thing I usually do on this podcast is ask people what their note on vulnerability is. So that's the one thing that you want anyone listening to take away from the conversation that we've had. Okay, uh, so I would say that vulnerability isn't something to be ashamed of. Um, and in a way, it's a kind of a sign of strength because uh, you're allowing yourself like not to feel comfortable all the time. And I think that opens you up to putting yourself into new and different situations. And that's not going to look the same for everyone well thanks so much for um coming on the podcast and opening up like that that's been a great chat it's also made me hungry <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks for having me and yeah sorry about making <laughs> <laughs> i'm off to get some blondies oh, nice